Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is the August 1st, 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism is the philosophy that upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I'm welcoming all of you who are flexibly joining me here this evening at Blog Talk Radio. I see a number of our usual listeners hanging out here in the chat room. So welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to join in on the discussion, the chat room is a great place to do it, but please also call in if you want to talk about the topics that I've got planned for this evening. 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. That's the number to call if you want to chat. Uh, there are people who call and then they just like to listen, and that's fine. You are welcome. Hang on on the phone lines there and, and listen. But if you want to speak to me, try to remember to press 1. I think that's what the menu tells you you need to do. And if you'd like to know what we're going to be talking about this evening, if you haven't checked it out yet, go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com is the place where I post program notes for the show. So go to don'tletitgo.com, the top post that's there right now, will tell you all the stuff that I plan to talk about this evening. The title of the show is When the Language of Truth is, in scare quotes, problematic or in scare quotes, unhelpful. These are the terms that have been thrown around to refer to people speaking the truth in the past week or so in the news. So we have some stories related to that. I've got a bunch of other stuff too. So again, go to that blog, don'tletitgo.com and look at all the stories and links and everything that I've got laid out there. It's quite an ambitious set of uh, links as usual, but we'll see what we can do. Um, And by the way, I do wanna thank 
those of you who, after uh, last week's show, came and gave me some donations because Blog Talk Radio, they hit me with the fees beginning of the month each month. So it's very much appreciated when you donate over there. And if there are people who like to donate on a regular basis but don't always remember, you can, through PayPal, set up monthly donations if you'd like to. And then you just kind of set it and forget it. And we always appreciate those of you who have done that as well. So thanks very much. Zoom on over there if you like, and you can do that there. Um, So let's go ahead and get started. And the very first story that I have is about something that's been going on in college campuses for a while. And it is putting out speech codes, or as we've seen in one story this week out of the University of New Hampshire, a bias-free language guide. I learned about this story through the blaze, but the original reporting is from Campus Reform, and that's the story that I link you to over at the blog. Campus Reform reports that the University of New Hampshire has a, quote, bias-free language guide that it posted on its website, and the goal of that guide is, quote, to invite inclusive excellence in the campus community, end quote. And there's certain terms that have been deemed, according to this guide, as problematic. Problematic. Now, the update on this is that Mark Huddleton, who's the president of University of New Hampshire, he has himself disavowed the bias-free language guide, saying that he is, quote, troubled by many things that it contains. And now he says that the only UNH policy on speech is that it is free and unfettered on our campuses, end quote. And then, of course, our question for him is, hmm, so the only thing that you've done in terms of, you know, finally taking it down or disavowing it is because of the reporting because it's been published out there. Otherwise, I guess you couldn't be bothered to see what was posted as advice to your students. I think that's pretty pathetic. But anyway, before it was outed by Campus Reform and by The Blaze, and before they took it down, what they tried to put out there as a guide to their students are that these terms are deemed problematic. American, illegal alien, foreigners, mothering, fathering, also healthy. Um, But let's go ahead and get some kind of, you know, a little bit of explanation as to why they think these things are problematic. Uh, Homosexual, even saying homosexual is a problematic term. You know, many of us would say homosexual instead of gay, for example, thinking that that was more the polite term. But now what the University of New Hampshire wanted to give you was same gender loving, instead of homosexual. So that's, I mean, many more syllables. Also, if you if there is a lack of gender neutral bathrooms, that is called cisentrism, which I actually don't even know what the root of that is and how that got there. But they define that as, quote, a pervasive and institutionalized system that places transgender people in the, quote, other category and treats their needs and identities as less important than those of cisgender people. Interesting. Um, If you say American to reference Americans, that is also problematic, according to this 
bias-free guide. Um, the guide encourages the use of the more inclusive substitutes U.S. citizen or resident of the U.S. Uh, the guide notes that uh, American is problematic because it, quote, assumes the U.S. is the only country inside the continents of North and South America. Interesting. So, you know, you, you can use residents of Canada, residents of Mexico, etc. Uh, illegal alien, of course, is also problematic. I mean, people have been talking about that as not being politically correct for a while. Uh, undocumented immigrant is acceptable, but the guide recommends saying person seeking asylum or refugee. Now, you're not even supposed to say foreigners, according to the guide. What you should use instead is international people. You can't even say Caucasian. Instead, what you should say is European American individuals. And as it, they say that race, according to this, is a social construct that was designed to maintain slavery. Now, first of all, I don't think people should be talking about race that much anyway. Um, the only time I would even really talk about race is when people ask me what my race is on some stupid form I have to fill out. And I usually decline to state as much as possible, but whatever. Um, you may also not, according to the guide, if you want to be bias-free, you may not use the terms mo mothering, mothering or fathering because you want to, quote, avoid gendering a non-gender activity, end quote. So there is no mothering or fathering anymore. The activity is non-gendered. There's nothing distinctive, according to University of New Hampshire. I, I'm assuming that that could be the most problematic part of it, according to the president there, the president of the university, because that's ridiculous. There are certain things that mothers and fathers give to their kids and to try to deny that because you don't want to offend anybody. Anyway, again, this is why we're talking about the fact that this is language that is used to convey certain truths. And it is deemed by the leftists who are behind this bias-free guide as just problematic. Now, listen to this about the word healthy. This is the one that really got me. You can't even describe somebody as healthy. They say even saying the word healthy is problematic. The preferred term, they say, for people without, uni with, uh, excuse me, without disabilities, <laughs> I was going to say without universities, <laughs> that was a Freudian slip, and that's a good one, uh, because I think healthy is somebody without universities, just really in general, right? But uh, the preferred term for people without disabilities, the university says, is, quote, non-disabled. So instead of healthy, the positive term describing an actual state where I would assume if you're going to describe somebody as healthy, the person would be healthy in body and mind. All of the organs and bodily functions are working well, and also the brain and the psychology is uh, optimally well. Um, fat people is now people of size, according to Pig Fan in there. And someone in there just says, well, I prefer fat. Um, that's, that's a whole other thing. But, uh, yeah, you can't even say healthy. Uh, you may not also say handicapped or you can't even say physically challenged. Instead, you want to use either wheelchair user or a person who is wheelchair mobile. You can't even say rich or poor. Instead of saying rich, you should say person of material wealth. They want everything to take longer to state 
because everything has about 50 billion more syllables when you're going around it. Uh, rather than saying a person is poor, the university encourages its members to substitute, quote, person who lacks advantages that others have, or, quote, low economic status related to a person's education, occupation, and income. Other terms considered problematic, elders, senior citizen, overweight, which the guide says is arbitrary speech impediment, dumb, sexual preference, God, you can't even say sexual preference, manpower, freshman, mailman, and chairman, in addition to many others. Um, instead of bias-free language guide, they should call this crow-busting, shut-your-mouth-and-never-talk guide because it's this list is so long you can't even speak if you think you're going to try to avoid all of these terms. I have no idea. Yeah, just Jean says, maybe that's the idea. Discourage people from speaking at all. And that may indeed be the problem. <sighs> UNH offers the guide as a starting point for using words. Oh, it, respectfully. And then there's a special part of it called the gender pronouns guide the Gender Pronouns Guide, and I guess they've copied it from another university, the University of Wisconsin at Madison, and this is the starting point for using pronouns respective, respectfully. So you're supposed to have non-binary pronouns, all sorts of stuff. Anyway, you can go check out the link at Campus Reform, but just keep in mind, all they're saying about these things is that they are problematic that these terms are not inclusive or that they may offend somebody. But in terms of actually stating whether or not the, you know, the, these terms that they say are problematic, the question should be, do they convey important, truthful, useful information? Are they valid concepts that would be used to communicate things that we should know about? And certainly in the case of some of these, healthy. Yeah. I mean, when, when I uh, see this where I say instead of healthy, you're supposed to have non-disabled, that really sounds like it's out of 1984, directly out of 1984. Mothering and fathering, I don't know if that's exactly out of 1984 because they weren't trying to, as far as I know, get rid of gendered uh, terminology. But it you know, would be if I guess it had occurred to them at that point. Um, yeah, Al Meyer in the chat room here says, I guess concepts are meaningless to them. Uh, Flycatch says homosexuals stole the word gay. Um, I mean, it is true that a lot of people won't even use the word gay in its original meaning, right? Um, but uh, Stuart says in the chat room, but you can't be non-non-disabled. Yeah, you can either be disabled or non-disabled. So everything is, you know, defined in terms of the disabled person. You can't just be healthy. And to be able to just talk about somebody as healthy, you feel healthy, you are healthy, you're healthier, using health as a goal, right? All of us are trying to make ourselves healthier. I guess you're not supposed to speak in those terms on the campus. It is I would say that the whole free speech guide itself is problematic, but I would go on to explain what I think the problem is, which they are not really doing here. They just want to say it's problematic or maybe it's not inclusive. It distinguishes among groups 
of people or distinguishes amongst characteristics that people have. And it doesn't talk about whether or not is a useful or a truthful distinction. It just talks about whether it is inclusive or non-inclusive or whether it offends people. And that's why I think that it is problematic because they're just trying to invalidate the use of all sorts of terms simply because they are non-inclusive and they might offend people. Um, I mean, completely, completely invalid. But, you know, what, what we also saw this week is not just this story breaking about what leftists are doing on our college campuses. We also saw among Republicans the designation of certain types of descriptions or uses of terms or rhetoric as unhelpful. And this is the story in which we saw this week, uh, Senator Ted Cruz has been the most vocal outspoken opponent of the so-called Iran deal, where we're basically trying to, I guess, kind of bribe them not to have nuclear weapons right away maybe just kind of put it off a little bit in exchange for billions, hundreds, $160 billion is what I heard as the last figure. Here, we'll give you access to $160 billion. How about you just pretend you don't have nuclear weapons for a little while to make me look good and um, maybe just don't blow us up with a nuclear weapon in the next five years or so, pretty please? I mean, that's really about it. Uh, Flycatch in the chat room says Ted Cruz is going to be chosen as Donald Trump's vice president. Um, I mean, that could make me hold my nose and vote for Donald Trump. You know, Yaron Brook on his show earlier today here on Blog Talk Radio said something that I found kind of interesting, which is that there's few things that Trump is taking a definitive, well-defined position on. It's going to be very interesting to watch Donald Trump in debates where we're going to be listening to him answering questions about his position on certain issues and to see whether he articulates something that isn't vague. Um, but we'll see about that. But anyway, so, you know, back back to where we are with this, uh, you know, the, the language of truth being problematic or unhelpful. The unhelpful part comes from this story about Ted Cruz, and, and Ted Cruz has been out there criticizing the Iran deal. And I think in one of the most powerful formulations that he's put forth out there, he has noted, which is true, that this deal is going to allow at least $100 billion, I think up to $160 billion to flow to Iran. Iran is one of the leading state sponsors of terrorism and I don't even know if they've had that much kind of money at their disposal in order to spend on terrorism before. And so what Cruz has observed is that if we, United States, if the Obama administration in particular that is pushing this deal allows $100, $160 billion to flow to Iran, Iran is no doubt going to be using that money to finance jihad terror attacks against American citizens and against our allies as well. And so we will, by proxy, become a leading state sponsor of terrorism. Our country, 
the Obama administration in particular. So Cruz has pointed this out very forcefully. He has said, if this deal goes through, the Obama administration has become a leading sponsor of terrorism. Uh, Pig fan says 150 billion. Are we, are we talking about aid to Israel versus aid to Iran? Um, 150 billion is more than the combined aid we've sent to Israel since it became a state. That is a ton, of course. <sighs> anyway, I, I thought this was a great observation. Now, what has GOP done in reaction to this? Well, I mean, the better people in the GOP are going to fall behind Ted Cruz and think, well, this is a great thing to point out, right? And insofar as the Congress and the Senate are going to take seriously their opportunity to potentially shoot down this deal and say, no, we won't enact legislation in accordance with this. We will not remove these sanctions. At least the United States won't. It would be nice for them to realize that this is the truth. We cannot allow all of these billions of dollars to flow to Iran because that money is going to be used to kill American citizens. This is unacceptable. This is what Cruz has pointed out. So what has been the response to this? Well, first of all, let me just tell you what a lead Iran deal negotiator has said about this. And, you know, we don't even know, besides John Kerry, who are the people who are, have been actually negotiating this deal? Um, you get the name of one of the negotiators in this real clear politics story. And again, I've linked all these over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. It's Ambassador Wendy Sherman, the Undersecretary of State for Diplomatic Affairs. She served as the lead American negotiator. So what does she say? Again, Ted Cruz said, if the deal goes through, and I'm quoting from him now, the Obama administration becomes the leading global financier of Islamic global terrorism, sending billions to jihadists who will use that money to murder Americans, end quote. Notice the wonderfully, perfectly correct terminology here. He doesn't say Islamist. He doesn't say Islamic totalitarians or whatever. He says Islamic global terrorism, which is what it is. It's terrorism that is influenced by the religion of Islam, sending billions to jihadists, right? The jihadists are those people among Muslims. They're a small minority, but they're a minority that is bigger than they should be in today's world. And those are the people who are actually taking the call to violence in Islam seriously and acting on it. So, Sending billions to these jihadists, they're going to use the money to murder Americans. This is the language he uses. So here's the ambassador. The and and we we're going to pick this apart because you really need to see what non-answers they have for Ted Cruz. First of all, she says, "We all understand that we are in a presidential silly season in some ways." What a smear! Because he's campaigning to be president of the United States. That's ah, just a presidential silly season. We don't really have to take all this seriously. Then she says, we've got a lot of candidates who I'm sure sincerely believe what they do about this deal, but they are really looking, I think, for sound bites. So this is just a sound bite. Now, she hasn't yet addressed whether anything in it is true. Okay, is she going to address whether this is true yet? Let's see. Next part of the statement. 
we are trying not to allow Iran to get a nuclear weapon. Now I call BS. They're actually paving the way for Iran to get a nuclear weapon. Really serious business. So see, it's really serious. And Ted Cruz is just being silly, right? She says, it is true that Iran is doing a lot of nefarious things in the region. In the region. Not to us, right? And he was talking about attacking Americans. She still hasn't addressed that at all. They're doing nefarious things. They're not just doing nefarious things in the region, Ms. Sherman. They're doing horrible malicious, destructive, nihilistic things to us American citizens. She says, and we want to stop those as well. She still hasn't addressed the danger to us. She says, but you can't load everything onto one deal. Um, We should never be allowing billions of dollars to flow to Iran because they sponsor terrorist activities and attacks on us. That's the point that Cruz is making. She hasn't addressed it in three paragraphs. Short paragraphs, mind you, but still three. She says, so what we decided, what the president decided, (laughs) now she's putting it off on Obama, uh, was we needed to get the nuclear weapons off the table so we can focus on the terrorism, the human rights abuses, and the future of the region. Okay, so first of all, you think you're getting the nuclear weapons off the table with this deal. You're not. And then... You can focus on the terrorism. Well, you're going to have a lot more terrorism to focus on if Ted Cruz is right, and you haven't addressed whether he's right yet. So, okay, I haven't seen it yet. Um, About the secret deal that many Republicans are worrying about. She says there's no secret here. Hmm, Where have we heard that before? Uh, We are well aware that the IAEA, which will verify the deal, will create arrangements with countries as they do with us under the, quote, additional protocol. Okay, so that's some secret. Um, or it's, maybe she's saying it's not secret to them, but it's secret to us. It's not secret to her. So why should we care? Because boy, we're just supposed to trust her because of course she's addressed Ted Cruz's concerns already. Right. She says, what we're trying to be, uh, to do here is make sure everybody in Congress knows I had to close door meetings with all the congressional leadership yesterday. Of course, not including Ted Cruz. And I told them what was in the arrangement between the IAEA and Iran. No secrets here, confidential agreements, but no secrets. So we, the American people, can't know. The leadership, congressional leadership can know, but do you think our congressional leadership is somebody that we can trust? Flycatch in the chat room says IAEA is composed of all Muslims. That would also be a reassuring thing as well. But in any of this, In any of this, Sherman has never addressed the main point that Ted Cruz made. It was what you might call, and Rand used to call this, an argument from intimidation. Ah, He's just being silly. He's looking for sound bites. And what you're supposed to do when she says this, when she calls it a presidential silly season, or when she says he's just looking for sound bites, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to dismiss the whole substance of the point he said as ridiculous without her ever bothering to take the trouble to address the exact point that he made, which she never did. Flycatch says Sherman is a traitor and we all know it. What I love is how she got that little slip in there. She says, so what we decided, what the president decided. So she's saying, basically, don't blame me. This was the president. Um, And maybe she even in her own mind knows 
that his idea that they're, quote, getting the nuclear weapons off the table so that they can focus on the terrorism is a bunch of BS because not only is it not going to get the nuclear weapons on the table, it's going to create more terrorism. So, I mean, good luck focusing on the terrorism because it's going to be so diffuse, so omnipresent, so all over the world that you'll never get a handle on it because it will be so well financed by us. He says, uh, Flycatch says, she sold us out in North Korea as well. Great. Great track record. But, you know, just taking orders. Just taking orders. That's all you have to listen to. So that's what you have in terms of the reaction to Ted Cruz from Obama administration. But then look at the reaction to Ted Cruz. Again, this is Ted Cruz criticism of the Iran deal from the GOP themselves. And I'm actually giving you an article from Breitbart where Cruz is responding to the criticisms. Um, but uh, let, let's see what it is that Romney said. He What he did is he tweeted out there, and I've got to get the exact uh, text of the tweets. Um, sorry, sorry, i got to skip down here. Okay, yeah, so this is um, this is what Romney tweeted. He says, I am opposed to the Iran deal, but Senator Ted Cruz is way over the line on the Obama terrorism charge. Hurts the cause. Now, first of all, what, you know, it is Twitter, but I don't think it is helpful. <laughs> Use some of his own language. Uh, it is not good, Mitt Romney, to go out there and say that Cruz is over the line when you don't describe what the line is. What is the line? It's politeness. Is he not stating the truth? Uh, he says it hurts the cause. Well, how does it hurt the cause and why does it hurt the cause? Romney, do you think you have done much to help the cause? What is the cause? Let's explain what the cause is. Is the cause to get Republicans elected? Well, we got Republicans elected in 2014. Where has that gotten us? So uh, I think this is the interview where Ted Cruz shot back and basically said, we know why, um, you know, we know my, why Mitt Romney actually lost uh, the election. You know, he sat there at the podium and uh, yeah, this is, this is what he says. He says, uh, you know, Mitt Romney says the rhetoric is not helpful. Uh, John Adams says, uh, says Cruz famously said that facts are stubborn things. Describing the actual facts is not using rhetoric. It's called speaking the truth. And what I would say that Cruz has done is that he has packaged the facts, the actual facts as they are, which is Iran's status as a leading sponsor of, of Islamic terrorism and the facts about how much money is going to flow to Iran under this deal and putting that together and giving you a logical conclusion. But he's doing it, of course, in a way that should, if people actually care about the fate of America and its people, it should wake them up and say, maybe this deal is not good. So he is, of course, selecting and highlighting and packaging the facts in a certain way. And you might say that that could be a technique in rhetoric. But it's nonetheless, if you're speaking the truth, even though you're using a strong rhetorical technique in doing so, this is a valuable thing to do. And so then the question is, you know, Mitt Romney, you say you're opposed to the Iran deal. 
but why is it that you don't like Cruz speaking the truth so strongly? <sighs> but anyway, it was interesting. Um, when Mitt himself, as we all remember, when he was debating Barack Obama in the third debate, this is what Cruz is talking about. Um, Obama said, quote, I said the Benghazi attack was terrorism and no one is more upset about Benghazi than I am. And Mitt, he uh, says, Cruz, I guess just listening to his own advice said, you know, gosh, I don't want to use any rhetoric. So I guess I'll just rearrange the pencil on the podium here, end quote. And so Cruz is saying, you know, if you are saying that you're not going to come back with the truth in a very strong formulations that, that's going to get people thinking, that's how you lose. And Cruz says, we need to stand up and speak the truth with a smile, but the truth has power. And every time we have Republicans who shy away, who don't want to engage, who don't want to speak the truth, we lose. That's Cruz. Uh, Cruz also defended Mike Huckabee because Bush, I guess, criticized Mike Huckabee for Huckabee's criticism of the Iran deal. And so Cruz says this, he says, likewise, I thought it was really unfortunate in the past couple of weeks to see Jeb Bush, number one, attacking Mike Huckabee for speaking out about the threat of a nuclear Iran. And then he says, in this, I agree with Netanyahu and Huckabee. Um, you know, Netanyahu said that a nuclear Iran poses an existential threat to Israel. And this is, you know, again, I'm quoting from Cruz here. He says, and I'm sorry, Jeb Bush is wrong. We shouldn't shy away from saying that. Likewise, I disagreed with Jeb Bush when he said, well, it's not reasonable for the next president to say that he will cancel this agreement when he enters office. And this is Cruz. Cruz, he says, it is absolutely reasonable for any serious commander in chief to say that he will abrogate any deal that undermines U.S. national security, end quote. I think this is excellent. So, but look, here we have. GOP, members of the GOP who are supposedly against this deal, but they're saying, oh, gosh, the way he says this, even though maybe it's true or I'm not really going to address whether it's true or not, it's unhelpful. Oh, maybe he should. God, he shouldn't say that. He shouldn't say that. Oh, it's going to make us lose. It's going to make us lose. They are afraid of speaking the truth in a strong way. But who is the candidate who's in the lead right now? It's Trump. Trump isn't even speaking from a point of the substance that Cruz is. Cruz is out there analyzing and packaging the facts in a very powerful punch. And it is awesome. Um, Trump is not even doing that. But people perceive Trump as just stating the thing, you know, stating things the way he sees them and not caring about the effect and whether he's crossed a line or if people are going to think it's unhelpful or whatever. Cruz is doing the exact same thing that Trump is, but he's got the substance behind it and the moral righteousness and the confidence. I, I really do think in the end, someone like Cruz wins out. Um but let me let me go to one more GOP fellow GOP member. What is it? There's 17 plus people running for president now. One of them, I believe, is Jindal, and uh, Bobby Jindal has characterizes Cruz Iran's rem, Iran, Iran remarks as not helpful, and he has said that critics should be a voice of reason. This according according to Breitbart. 
Uh, Louisiana governor and Republican presidential candidate Bobby Jindal argued that fellow candidate Senator Ted Cruz, his comments that the Iran deal will make the Obama administration the world's leading financier of radical Islamic terrorism were, quote, not helpful. And he said that, quote, those of us that have been opposed to this deal have been the voice of reason. I don't think we should give up that position. That's what he said. So because Ted Cruz has put his criticism in these strong, unequivocal, unapologetic terms, he ceases to be the voice of reason. Somehow you just say, well, we've, we've been the voice of reason. We shouldn't give up that position. So somehow he's in, he's in danger of this. Um, now, Jindal was asked about the statement, and he said he uh, he's opposed to the deal himself. He says, but I wouldn't have said those words. I don't agree with those sentiments. This is Jindal trying to explain himself. He says, look, I think that those of us that have been opposed to the deal, we've been the voice of reason. We shouldn't give it up. He says, at the end of the day, the terrorists or the radical Islamic groups and individuals out there and the state sponsors of those terrorists have been Iran and some of these other countries that have sponsored some of these groups is so vague. He says, I wouldn't have used that rhetoric. Again, I oppose the deal, but I don't think that rhetoric's helpful, end quote. That's what Jindal said. Did he answer Cruz's point? Is it or is it not true that by allowing all of this money to flow to Iran, that the Obama administration would become a leading financier of Islamic terrorism? And just Gene said, so does Jindal say what words he would use? No, it doesn't see at all. Um, no, then they went on and started to talk about politics and Obamacare and the debates are coming up and, oh, this is a serious election and I'm not getting any more. So that whole paragraph that I just read you is the substance of his response to Cruz. And it's about what Sherman from the Obama administration had to say in response, which is nothing. So think about this. They've called it problematic. Language is problematic. It's crossed the line. It's unhelpful. They don't have any indication of what the standard is for the proper terminology to use. All that Jindal indicated was, well, Iran's not the only one. But would we or would we not be the leading financier if we allow $100, $160 billion to flow to Iran. And Cruz says we would. And nobody, none of these people who have criticized his statement have addressed that point at all. Uh, just to give you a couple little side notes, just to kind of, you know, think about this in the mix as we're coming up to Congress being able to invalidate this deal. Iran has you know, again, all these negotiations are going on and we're deciding whether or not to lift sanctions and allow all this money to flow to them. And we've got Iran publishing a book on how to outwit the U.S. and destroy Israel. This is a story from New York Post published today. Again, go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com, and you'll see all the stories that I've, uh, I'm discussing here tonight. It says, while Secretary of State John Kerry and President Obama do their best to paper over the brutality of the Iranian regime, 
and forced through a nuclear agreement, Iran's religious leader has another issue on his mind, the destruction of Israel. The Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, who we heard all these lovely things from over the last several weeks, has published a new book called Palestine. This is a 416-page screed, as it's described by Amir Tahari over at New York Post. It's against the Jewish state. Surprise. A blurb on the back cover credits Khamenei as, quote, the flag bearer of jihad to liberate Jerusalem. And Amir says that a friend of mine sent me a copy from Iran, which is the only place the book is currently available, though an Arabic translation is promised soon. Obama administration officials likely hope that no American ever hears about it. Khamenei makes his position clear from the start. Israel has no right to exist as a state. He uses three words. One is Nabudi, which means annihilation. The other is imha, which means fading out. And finally, there is aval, meaning effacement. Khamenei claims that his strategy for the destruction of Israel is not based in anti-Semitism, which he describes as a European phenomenon. His position is instead based on, quote, well-established Islamic principles, end quote. But see, you know, when you think that, like, the destruction of Israel and stuff, that's not really Islam, right? Because Islam means peace. But here's Khamenei, who is the leader influencing a lot of Muslims, right? This is, you, you might say, okay, this is not the only uh, position among Muslim people that not all Muslims want to efface or fade out or annihilate Israel as Khamenei does. But nonetheless, there is a very substantial influential uh, minority and in fact in Iran it is the apparently leading interpretation out there of Islamic principles. One such principle is that the land that falls under Muslim rule even briefly can never again be ceded to non-Muslims. What matters in Islam is ownership of a land's government even if the majority of inhabitants are non-Muslims. Anyway, you can go check that out, but that's just something else to keep in mind, and you can just put that into the mix when you look at Jindal's response to Ted Cruz, when you look at Sherman's response to Ted Cruz, when you look at Mitt Romney's response to Ted Cruz, when you look at Jeb Bush's response, I guess, to Huckabee, because I guess Jeb Bush wouldn't deign to respond to Ted Cruz. I can't wait till Jeb Bush has to respond to Ted Cruz instead of doing it through Mike Huckabee. So that's one thing to think about. Another good thing, uh, kudos to Ted Cruz, though, uh, on this. Cruz has introduced this week legislation clarifying congressional review period for the Iran nuclear deal. And what Cruz has said, right, they have a 60-day period. That's what they're supposed to get under the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act of 2015. They get a 60-day period. But what you need to, oh, sorry, that's the one that he's put forth. Um, they were supposed to get a 60-day period anyway. But the 60-day period, Cruz wants to say, cannot begin until not only the nuclear agreement, but all the related materials that are outlined in the act are transmitted to Congress. 
And he says, President Obama has failed to provide the separate side agreements and federal guidance materials to Congress. So the review period cannot have begun without the majority leader's consent. So go ahead and put it on McConnell to figure out when this actually starts. Um, Cruz has assembled key grassroots leaders from wide-ranging political backgrounds to organize opposition to the Iran nuclear deal. And in general, I guess he's just trying, going to try to string out the time of the approval of, of deal. Um, and he's continuing to talk about the billions that will flow to Iran under the deal and the danger that it causes. So check that out as well. Another great thing for Cruz this week is, um, and I, both of these last two things are from Cruz's own press releases. This one is that the conservatives have successfully defeated the export-import bank revival. If you remember, another thing that everyone was saying was unhelpful, this was last week, was when Cruz pointed out that although McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, had said that there was no side special deal to revive the Export-Import Bank. In fact, there was a deal. And as I understand it now, even though the Senate was willing to revive the Export-Import Bank, the Senate being full of a lot more crony Republicans, the House did not revive. And so what we have right now going to Barack Obama and hopefully will be signed by him is a three-month extension of the federal highway funding, but it's a three-month extension that does not revive the Export-Import Bank. The Export-Import Bank remains expired, which it's been since June 30th, and so all of those crony politicians in Washington have, you know, the cronyists, I guess we can call them, they have not been able to enrich themselves using this uh, vehicle of the Export-Import Bank since June 30th. And let's hope that that continues and let's hope they're able to, uh, you know, to keep keep that away. But, you know, again, that was something else that a lot of people thought, oh, no, 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 he's doing the wrong thing, it's not helpful. And has anyone ever gotten to the truth and said, oh, well, actually Cruz was wrong? And in fact, either there was no promise or there really wasn't any sort of a backroom deal or if people just kind of let that go and just assumed that it's all part of Cruz's egomaniacal ways for him to even bring this up. Anyway, so what we see, we see both the left and the right today. Of course, it's the worst members of the GOP that are willing to go out there and declare the language of the truth to be unhelpful unhelpful and no one i mean none of those people that i read you from have actually countered cruz on the facts they haven't said no you have it wrong that the us will not be a leading financier of islamic terrorism if this deal passes they none of them have said that no one on the left or the right and you know in terms of the campus speech code that i read you earlier the language is problematic is it problematic because it's untrue? No, no, it might offend people. It's not inclusive, right? And I mean, you could, you know, think of it from in terms of inclusiveness with Ted Cruz. I mean, basically what the Republicans have been trying to do for the last couple elections, last few elections, is 
have a moderate sort of inclusive candidate that is going to, you know, have a big tent and everybody's going to love them and, you know, we'll just kind of sneak them in. And what have we gotten from that? When we've elected those type of candidates, those type of candidates become your Mitch McConnell's of the world, your John McCain's of the world, your, you know, George W. Bush, who was willing to chuck his free market principles to save the free market, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what do we say? What do we say when you've got people both on the left and the right who are looking at the language of the truth, whether it's certain terms that people want to use on campus, just in talking about ideas as students like to do. I mean, you remember going to college, right? What did you do in college? You wanted to talk about all the ideas that were important to you, all the ideas that were being discussed in class, compared to what it was that you thought you believed as you were growing up. Maybe you're going to change your views, adopt new views, but you want to explore the truth. And if you're given this huge long list of terms that you're told are problematic, and therefore, if you want to be really nice and include everybody, you shouldn't use these terms. It's going to offend people. How helpful, as I'm going to say, is that if you actually want to get at true ideas, you actually want to know whether the ideas that you hold are true and whether those are going to be ideas that if you act on in your life, you're going to achieve success and happiness. No good. Uh, similarly, if we want to know whether this Iran deal is good or bad for us, do we care whether the language that's used to criticize it is language that's going to just strike some people as harsh? Or do we care about whether the content of that is true and, and moreover, whether what Cruz is communicating is conveying an important point that we need to know about whether this Iran deal is in our interest or not in our interest, if it's something that we should support or should not support. I'd like to see what kind of argument, again, what is the argument of Mitt Romney or Jeb Bush or Bobby Jindal? I mean, they're basically the Cruz is out there. He's stating exactly what's wrong with it. And they're saying, well, I'm against it, but gee, he, ju he shouldn't use those language. And then they don't have to state exactly why it is that they're against the deal, right? Why are they against the deal? I mean, it, you know, uh, Cato's for it. Cato's for the deal. Al says they know he's not wrong. Yeah, of course. I mean, and, and they'll say he's not wrong to be opposed against the deal. But, oh, I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't put it that way. Right or wrong? That's really the question. So what do we say? I mean, what, did, what do we say? What can we learn about these people when the language in which the truth is conveyed is language that time and again, they will just say, oh, that's not helpful. Oh, you shouldn't say it that way. You shouldn't call Mitch McConnell a liar on the Senate floor. It's, it's just not helpful. You shouldn't call out the Obama administration as a potential financier of Islamic terrorism under this Iran deal. It's not helpful. It crosses a line. No defining what the line is. Alan in the chat room says, the goal today is to avoid conflict at any cost, even if it means letting someone else pound on you. If you want to chime in and let me know 
what you think. I mean, what is it that we can say about these people? What can we learn about them that they're saying this language of the truth that, you know, this language that conveys truth? It's, just, it's, it's unhelpful. It's, it's problematic. What, what does it say about them? 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Yeah, avoid conflict at any cost. Go ahead and let these other people pound on you, says Al. Right? I mean, what does it mean? It means, are they concerned for the truth themselves? Do they really want to pursue the truth? You know, I was, I was talking with someone earlier today, and it was, you know, Obama is invoking common sense, how everything is common sense. And in a way, you could say a lot of the things that he's doing are consistent with a so-called pragmatic approach. And what do you do in pragmatism? You just say, well, I do what works. And we don't really get very clear on what something working actually means. Right? What, what's the standard by which we judge things? If, if something is problematic, why is it problematic? What is the problem about it? They talk about inclusiveness. They sort of talk about offense. You don't want to offend people. Why is it wrong to offend people? Right? Isn't truth more important than whether you actually offend somebody? Right? Any other thoughts here in the in the chat room? You know, when I'm thinking about these people and, and whether they're concerned about the truth, I mean, all I, all I can conclude is they actually do not care whether what Ted Cruz is saying is actually true. That's not important to them. And in fact, I'm not sure if I had told you this, but um, after everybody was criticizing Ted Cruz for that statement on the Senate floor where he was uh, calling out McConnell for lying, I asked people, I said, well, okay, you think in this case, because they said, oh, well, it's just politics. You know, these people, they make backroom deals all the time. It's just kind of understood that everybody makes these deals and like, he shouldn't say anything, right? He shouldn't actually call somebody out on a lie about this. Um, you know, he, he played politics, he lost, he should just kind of, you know, lick his wounds and come back next time. And he shouldn't go out there and actually say, oh, that guy, you know, lied to me. And then I said, well, what would it take? You know, what would what would it take for you to think that what Cruz is calling out is important enough so that it would be okay to call somebody out on the Senate floor as having lied? I got no answer. I actually didn't get an answer of where you would draw the line. They whatever it was, it in that particular situation, Cruz was supposedly wrong to call this out. But I mean, this is what someone like Cruz is doing. Cruz is, and he, as he says over and over, he's not going to Congress to make friends with all these people. He is going to Congress in order to fight for what he sees to be the right thing, to call out either Republicans or Democrats as corrupt or as cronyist, et cetera, when they are. And he's, he's trying to actually be different. One thing that I wanted to point out, by the way, is again, remember everyone said, oh, Cruz, he was so wrong to do that, you know, get out on the floor and stuff. 
any money, I bet you any money that Cruz sitting on the floor of the Senate calling out McConnell for that deal helped make it the case that the House stood firm on the Export-Import Bank and did not let it be revived. That they that it's remained expired now, in part at least, because of the leadership of Ted Cruz doing the unthinkable and actually speaking out on the floor of the Senate. So let me know what you think about that. Now, I had somebody who was just in there and going to call, and I was just about to pick up the call, and I lost it. So if you were just calling in and you had pressed one, go ahead and do that again. Uh, just Gene in the chat room says, Maybe they focus on language of others because it allows them to avoid talking about their own thoughts and positions. And I definitely think that that is true. Um, and in particular, some of these GOP guys where they're just not accustomed to taking strong positions. They've been watering down what they you know, what their positions are for so long that they probably can't even remember what it is to have a strong principled stand on anything. But moreover, you know, th what is this idea? You're going to you avoid conflict. You don't want to offend. You think that you need to sugarcoat the truth in a certain way. You've got to disguise it. And, and what I see that as fundamentally is not is a concern to not even care what the truth is you don't even I mean again none of them has addressed whether that particular point that Cruz made is true if that point that Cruz makes is true it is really damning suppose they had to face up to the fact that it's true right they could not continue to evade how important this Iran deal is and so for example if you think that you shouldn't campaign on the idea that you need to, um, you know, get out of this deal if you become president, right? You don't want to have to say that or promise that or whatever. You don't want to face the things that Cruz is making you face, right? Cruz is making them uncomfortable because it's making them face up to truths that they would rather not actually confront. Uh, I've got my collar back, so I'm going to try. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, this is Al. Al, yay. Thanks for calling in. So, Al, same Al in the chat room? Yes. I don't think you've called in before, though, right? Uh, not sure. I've called into your on book, though. Okay. Well, welcome. I'm glad you're calling into my show as well. Spreading the love around, right? Yes. I, actually, I listened to your show before his, so... Well, my show existed before his, so there's the excuse right yeah. there, right? But um, yeah. no, th thanks for calling in, Al. So, so what's your what's your thoughts? I mean, what do you think about these people? They're just there's this language of truth, language that's necessary, I think, to convey truth in a way that it can actually get across to people, and nobody wants to hear it. No, they they don't. I mean, I got a perfect example from where I work at. Um, I'm actually, I, 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 I hate it, but I, I took the job because I needed the job on God in the military, but I currently work for uh, the state of Illinois. Okay. I uh, actually work in the Department of Revenue, so I, I'm kind of a mole. <laughs> I'm in there trying to corrupt people uh, <laughs> to, to our side. So uh, anyway, there's this one employee there. She's been there for almost 30 years. The woman never does any work. Ooh. You know, she's... Female, she's a minority because uh, she's an immigrant. You know, she's 
from India originally, comes in and literally never does any work. Nobody wants to confront her about it, you know. And anytime somebody tries to bring it up, the managers all try to avoid it. And I'm not like that. I'm going to call them out, you know. And like the other day, uh, she had taken the day off. One of the managers came over and asked where she was. I said, who cares? So like she doesn't think when she's here anyway, it doesn't make any difference if she's here or not. Because even when she's here, she's not really here. You know, wow. and he had that kind of deer in the headlights look at his face and he just kind of you know, it, it walked, you know. And it's funny because there's two, two two groups of people in there. Some of them, when I tell them that story, they're like, oh, Al, you shouldn't have done that. You know? And they're like, oh, good for you, you know. Because you know? if we keep nailing it, you know, Letting people know, hey, this is the situation. You know, hopefully, eventually, they'll get the hint and do so to change it. But it hasn't worked yet. But I'm going to keep telling the truth about this person. So you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, this is this is the thing, right? I mean, oh, and that's the thing. People are trying to avoid uncomfortable truths, and they don't want to deal with it. I mean, why would people want to avoid the truth? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and what, what does it mean to not, I mean, you know, for, first of all, I mean, it, just to kind of back up. So, Al, why is it important to you to have the truth about this coworker known? Because I get stuck picking up a lot of her slack because she works in the same section I do. And so there's a lot of work that she's supposed to be doing right. and that other supervisors stuff actually give her credit for doing. And it's my work. And I'm like, look, she ain't doing the job. I'm doing the job. Stop giving her credit for it because right. it's it's bull. Right. You know? Right. And I mean, so so I, I've so had several it, people backing up on that too. So. So it would it 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 makes your life harder because you're doing more work. If the management, whoever's above you in the bureaucracy, the vast government bureaucracy, mm-hmm. um, if whoever's up there is judging your unit as a total in terms of productivity, it brings the productivity of the unit down, makes them less likely maybe to promote or give you guys raises and things like that. So you're doing more work. You're not going to be able to make the more you know the money that you deserve, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So. So, you know, knowing the trying to communicate the truth in a way that it's actually going to get through to these people is crucial for making your life better, right? Yeah, and not to mention the fact that in the last seven months, eight months, we've had five people retire who were originally going to work there longer, but they got tired of the bull Mm -hmm. and everything, and they're like, screw this, we're out. And so, and they haven't brought anybody in to replace those people, so it's even increased our workload even more. You know, they they right. lost good workers because they're afraid to confront this one, you know, or you know, one or two bad workers who who don't do anything. And like I said, it's all a matter of oh well, we don't want to you know stir any trouble. Well, you're getting trouble no matter what. It's just you being an ass and not confronting it. Yeah. Now, why would you think the upper level bureaucratic management doesn't want to know the truth or hear the truth? I, I'm not sure. You know, they keep talking about you know, um, possibility of she's constantly going to try to sue because you know, because like, right. she can try to play a race card. You know, hey, they're right, know, right. So if they if they fired her, if they wrote her up, if they disciplined her, you know, so if they either disciplined or fired her, maybe there'd be some sort of lawsuit 
because oh, of course but it's got to it be this. Be, yeah, but it would be washed out in a heartbeat because they have records on this. You know, they could fire her right now for falsifying production sheets because we know how much work she does in a day, and she has to talk production sheets says what she's done all day. Right. And I guarantee you she's not as putting out, out there, you know, stood out by the rail for 20 minutes talking on the phone. She's putting down work that <laughs> right. other people are doing. Yeah. And, you know, they can right. easily fire her for cause just for that, but they won't even broach it. Right. And and part of it, too, is, of course, it is government. And so you're not held to a bottom line like a business that needs to remain profitable is, you know, so for example, BB&T, John Allison used to say, inspect what you expect. And they inspected the productivity of their workers all over the place in all sorts of ways. And so they knew how productive all of their employees were. But, you know, if you're in government, there's not really any real consequences. And, you know, if exactly. you think about... I just got done reading his book too. And he, I mean, he's excellent on all of those issues in terms yeah. of, of management and productivity and leadership. Um, so, you know, when you think about these people who are evading the nature of the Iran deal and the fact that it's going to have this these consequences for jihad, you know, and terrorism, I don't know that it really means that much to them, right? Personally, I mean, if you think about it, um, Obama himself, well, I mean, he's going to have security for life. This is same yeah, of... Then I got to pay the cost of it. Yeah, Jindal and Jeb Bush, right? Um, yeah. Mitt Romney. Uh, I'm sure this Wendy Sherman is going to be covered in some way, even though she's not, you know, up up at the upper levels. But you know, or maybe she's just been a little bit brainwashed, right? You know, President has convinced her that this is the way that the deal is working, and everything's going to be wonderful in Peachy Keen. Um, she, I guess, maybe she feels like she has to believe it, but. I think these, so there's some people I think who are insulated from the consequences of their action, but I think there's oh, yeah. also people who have just kind of given up any care to know the truth. And, and I mean, think about that, right? I mean, we have to know the truth that you, we were just taking your example at work. If you want your work environment where you earn your living and sustain your life to be tolerable and, and somewhat, you know, pleasant for you. Um, you have got to tell certain truths out there and try to get management to recognize certain truths that are necessary right. for that. And, and, you know, on a, just on a, on a very basic level, we have to recognize the truth and act on it in order to survive all day long every day and if somebody has decided that these other concerns come ahead of the truth it's like well that's true but oh, i just wouldn't say it that way it's not helpful or oh i think he's crossed a line there or gee that that that's problematic to talk about people as healthy right healthy right. means fit for life we can't even talk I, I about health this is ridiculous. And, that, and so that, you start that, to yeah. wonder if these people don't care for life. They don't care for human life at all. They, they don't. And it just absolutely amazes me. And, you know, people try to alter the uh, definitions of words. And it's like, no, that's not what that word means. You know, it's like uh, altruism. Everybody thinks altruism just means being generous or kind. And it's not what it means. It's like, no, it means, you know, living your life solely for benefit of other people and 
basically dooming yourself to a slow, torturous suicide, and they don't get that. You know, right. it's, it's they don't. But, no, and and yeah. I mean, and that and that and that's exactly how we see it. I mean, the only thing that you could do to excuse them and say, okay, surely they can't mean that they don't care whether we are killed by jihadists, right? The only thing is you could say, well, hmm, maybe they've been taught for so long that truth and thinking and rhetoric and stuff, all of these things are just disconnected completely from life and death matters, that somehow arguing politics is separate from matters of of life and death, but it's not. I mean, this Iran deal... This Iran deal is either going to vastly increase the amount of terrorism that's going to be perpetrated on us and our allies, or it's not. And none of them have addressed it. None of them decided to. It's all unhelpful across the line, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's most ridiculous thing. You know, you know, John Kerry Center is saying, "Well, they chant death to America. They don't really mean to kill us. Are you stupid?" I mean, <laughs> what, what what do you think they mean when they say that, you know? Yes. Well, let's plan to go tell um, Jim Taggart, you know, one of the things you're going to find out that words actually have exact meanings. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And and this is this is what our politicians today, people who are running for president or have run for president in the case of Mitt Romney, this is the way that they speak. And I, I find it very, very frightening. And they are indistinguishable from the leftists who put forth that bias-free code or whatever at the University of New Hampshire. It is unacceptable for anybody who calls themselves, you know, a so-called conservative to, to be speaking that way. So thanks, yeah. Al, for calling in, and, and thanks for, for sharing that story. Um, Daniel, over here in the chat room, has said that they're, even, they're afraid to discuss the truth and ideas. Why? Because it would require them to think Certainly, I would say that Jindal, as he was kind of talking through his answers, what it seemed like he was doing, was avoiding actually thinking about it. He's like, oh, you know, well, Iran's not the only one. There's these other ones, and there's some this, and there's some that. He was really being vague. He did not want to pin down whether or not it's true. hundred-plus billion dollars going to Iran, it's true. Iran is a sponsor of global jihad terrorism. Is that true? Is that not true? If we allow this money to flow to them, are we not then becoming financiers of it? They don't like to think in those terms. They don't want to face the truth. And I, I find it rather, rather frightening because, I mean, it, it is imperative that we understand what the truth is and that we act accordingly if we want to live. And we see this just very starkly in the Iran nuclear deal and there have been so many people out there just willing to evade the nature of what's going on, who it is that we're dealing with, and what the potential consequences are of this. And Cruz is pointing it out, and I don't see anybody else doing it in the stark terms that he is. Okay, so thank you, Al, for calling in. And uh, Robert in the chat room is saying that everything's been diluted by advisors. That's probably true as well. There's a lot of advisors out there telling them, telling people, I guess, how to be popular. And as far as I can tell, Cruz is not concerned 
about being popular, at least not in the short run, but I think it's going to play off in the long term. Flycatch was saying whether or not there is, uh, you know, whether basically that basically, you know, Trump is going to choose Cruz as a running mate. They both have the same style. I just say Cruz has a lot more substance. So I'm not very excited about having Cruz get into office via Trump, but it, it would be interesting. So I've got a couple stories and I'm going to kind of let you digest those for yourself. I feel like I should share them with you just out of, you know, caring for my audience, so to speak. There's another new study that is asserting that cell phone radiation can cause cancer. And it's one of these meta studies. So it's a study of many studies, a compilation of many studies. And my friend Deborah Sloan, she took the time to actually take a look at that and try to figure out what the causal mechanism is. Uh, the story itself, if you go and look at it, there were a couple different iterations of it being passed around this week. The one that I have is from the New York Daily News here, and it's uh, hold the phone, cell phone radiation can cause cancer. And one, one of the statistics that it gives is that using your phone for just 20 minutes a day for five years increases the risk of one type of brain tumor threefold. If you use the phone an hour a day for four years, this is said to up the risk of a number of tumors three to five times. Now, again, this is taking your cell phone and holding it up to your ear that they're saying can increase the risk of certain types of brain tumors. What those articles did not talk about is what the causal mechanism was supposed to be. And so what Deborah Sloan sent me, and I've passed it along to you at don'tletitgo.com. Again, go over there for all the program notes. She passed along a link at ResearchGate where they have the actual paper. So you can check out the paper for yourself when they talk about the abstract. It's an oxidative mechanism of biological activity of low intensity radio frequency radiation. So there's some sort of an oxidative uh, mechanism that is causing the cancer. And you can read all about it for yourself because of course, when people give you statistics, that alone is not going to explain to you why it is that the cell phone supposedly causes the cancer. But many of us live places where hands-free talking on the cell phone while you're driving is illegal anyway, so you've got some sort of hands-free device in your car. And I would say anytime you're having a conversation of any length, it's pretty uncomfortable to be holding that phone up to your ear. And wouldn't you like to be checking your email while you're talking on the phone anyway? I mean, of course you would, right? So no, but you know, plug plug the headphones in. That's really all you think you've got to do if you take this seriously. The other link that I shared with you over at the blog is a note that was written by a Facebook friend of mine. I'm afraid I haven't met him. I never met him in person. Uh, Rob Lechevier, he, um, he died uh, earlier this year. It was either very late last year or very right at the beginning of this year of a brain tumor. And at one point, he hypothesized, he actually thought that talking on the cell phone for him personally was a significant uh, factor contributing to him getting the brain cancer. And he talked about the fact that the location of the tumor was right above the ear 
where he held the phone. He held the phone on his left ear and the tumor was right there. And in this Facebook note, which he's made publicly available and I've linked to for you guys, he explains in great technical detail that is above my pay grade, way above my pay grade. I can't understand. Well, maybe I could understand if I spent hours and hours, but I'm sorry, I don't have the hours. But he explains why he thinks that cell phones actually do. So he goes into uh, some great depth there talking about. So you can take a look at that for yourself. Make your own judgment. I'm not telling you go stop using your cell phone. My approach is I've been using headphones anyway because I find it more comfortable. And you can, you know, decide what to do accordingly. And what do we got over here? Oh, yeah. Some people don't like to think at all, says Al. Uh, Jeb has an as an advisor who is very anti-Israel, says Pig Fan. Oh boy, that would be wonderful. Not at all. Um, so that's why I diluted by advisors. That's probably what Robert was getting at as well. <sighs> James Baker. Okay, not not good at all. I don't want to hear anybody is anti-Israel. And as actually, we've got uh, some good news from Israel later in the list of links that I have over here. And here's another, oh, I've actually got another call I'm going to grab here. I think from the number that I see up here, it's probably going to be Bosch. Let me see. Hi, is this Bosch? Yeah. Hi, yeah. welcome to the show. I'm glad you were able yeah. to call in. Yeah, you've got the unknown number number here on yeah. Blog Talk Radio. So that's how I know it's you. It comes up as the unknown number all ones or whatever. Um, so how are you doing? Good. Yeah. So tell me, I mean, good. How's everyone wants to know how infidel is going. It's going well. Uh, I don't know why it's, 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 it's been killing me getting the coloring done, but it's just about done. The coloring next step is lettering. It's digital lettering. And I think very shortly, and then it goes through the, through the queue and the comicology they spend a little time trying to get the panel isolations and get it ready for digital release. And it being 55 pages, you know, it's literally 33 pages more than your average comic. So it might right. take a little longer for them to get yeah, it ready. Because I, it's, did, I, did, yeah. I, did, I didn't think about that until this moment, which sucks, but it is what it is. Right, because they isolate all the panels so that when yeah. you're looking at it on the app that they can look at it. So that's 55 pages worth of many yeah. panels. A lot of panels, hundreds and so, hundreds of it. So, you know, it's interesting. You're calling in, and the next, the very next story on my list, by the way, are you talking on the cell phone with a headset? Uh, oh, directly headset? on my ear. Uh, clearly on my ear, directly. Why? Is there, <laughs> is there a problem? I've been doing that for the last three hours straight. I was just, I've been on the phone. Always with the headphones. Apparently, you should, yeah, always with the headphones. I mean, it's just so much more comfortable that way anyway. I mean, that's yeah, how I found. So easy. I had to I find some special weird there. headphones that actually fit comfortably in my ear. Um, I think I think Bose makes them where they've got soft little things that stick in your ear. The standard Apple ones, I can put them in my ear for only a right. short time, and then they hurt very quickly. Okay. So for me, I have to do something a, a little bit different. But I, it, to me, it's well worth it to do that. It's so much more comfortable. Um, but just just as you're calling in now, the very next story that I wanted to talk about is, has to do with Garland. And they, I guess they dropped right. this story on us on the weekend during the slow news cycle of part of it. Why? 
why to uh, basically let the truth easy, let, let it out slowly, easy, so it doesn't hurt anyone. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, so let me let me let me explain what this the story is and what it's not, because I think it's Gateway Pundit that had a version yeah. of this story that was Jump out the there earlier today, and it overstated what the actual story is. So the actual story is that one of the two shooters who came to Garland, Texas, in order to kill people who are exercising their freedom of expression, right? Their right to freedom of expression. These people came to kill them. One of them bought a gun in 2010 under the Fast and Furious operation. So the Fast and Furious operation, a product of the Obama administration, helped to arm one of the assailants in Garland, Texas. Now, what hasn't been shown is whether that particular gun that this guy bought in 2010 was used in Garland, Texas. And the FBI well, has not well, told us that, well, right? Let me say one thing. They know whether it is or not. That's the fact. They know whether it is or not, but they are not releasing it. It's right. important that they don't release it because it would really damage Obama even worse. I mean, and that's the whole thing. The reason why they release it on Saturday because no one's really pay attention. You know, Rush Limbaugh's off, the, the media's off, a lot of the talk show hosts. Uh, Drudge is but, very, you know, slow on the weekends. Right, but the whole idea was that people who purchase guns under this Fast and Furious operation, that those people were supposed to be tracked. Yes, of course. So of this course. guy was supposed to be tracked for not only other reasons. They said, I think, that they were sort of tracking this guy, but they should have been yeah. tracking him even more so because he had purchased a gun under That's Fast right. and Furious in 2010. So this is inexcusable. If you go to the LA Times article, which doesn't overstate the case, but does, of course, you know, say, look, the Fast and Furious operation was something that resulted in a firearm being purchased by this guy who later went to Garland to shoot people who were exercising their rights to free speech, right? It doesn't do that. But so then what they do instead of the FBI revealing because they know they know whether that weapon was there right they know whether it was used Absolutely. they know all this they they knew this probably within days of garland no at, the, at the latest you know they went through all the apartment of this guy and everything yeah. else right it was a nine millimeter it was it was a nine millimeter handgun that he purchased in 2010 so uh, you know as far as we know probably the main weapons that they were coming in with were these ak-47s that they had but the nine millimeter may have also been one of the weapons i mean as far as we know they were really armed with had grenades and all yeah. sorts of stuff yeah, when they exactly. went there so maybe as backup just in case who but knows why wouldn't they i mean they would they'd be armed to the team because they're going there to kill and die that was their mission Right, they were, right. You know, martyrs. Um, the senator who is actually asking for all of this information, he's the one who we are, I, you know, we should be thankful for for actually trying to dig this out. Is Senator Ron Johnson? You say he's a mixed bag, right? Absolutely. He was. He, he's a Rand fan. He was against Obamacare. He didn't join Cruz in his defunding campaign. So he's good and he's bad. Meaning it's bad. Okay. Well, apparently now but, he, you know. he he is the spearheader of this campaign to try to get to the bottom of this, whether or not that particular weapon is there. So the FBI... He's better is, than Obama. Let's say that. He's better than Obama, which is not saying very much. But the FBI yeah. is, is not commenting 
on, you know, whether or not we can find out whether this weapon was used, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the other thing too is there was supposed to be a seven day hold on this guy yeah, being able to buy the gun day, and they, I think, they, I think it was nine uh, day. well, it says seven day here in the LA times okay. article and then they I, lifted I it in here. 20, they lifted it in 24 hours that, you yeah, know, that yeah. hold. So he was allowed to purchase a gun within 24 hours of, of applying for it. And anyway, it says, uh, asked recently for an update on the Garland shooting. FBI Director James Comey earlier this month declined to comment. We're still sorting it out, et cetera, et cetera. And then they say, we don't know, you know, whether they did that. But then uh, I think Comey was trying to throw people a bone. He's like, okay, well, we're not going to tell you whether the gun that the Obama administration allowed to flow to this guy, Sufi, whether that was actually used in the attack on Garland. But he says, oh, let's give you some more juicy details about Sufi so I can distract you from the fact that I'm keeping you from knowing the truth about this gun, right? So they give us some more facts about Sufi. Um they suggest that really probably what it was is that they were inspired by ISIS and not necessarily working directly with them. And he's got well, this. Well, one second. Well, Whether but, they were or not, Obama has a vested interest in, in saying there have been no terrorist attacks in America since 9-11. Meaning, Fort Hood, that's not terrorism. It's workplace violence. This, that's not terrorism. Because they're not linked to ISIS. That is terrorism. If it's one guy, if it's a hundred. Well, as far as I know, uh, Comey, is that how you pronounce his last name? I don't know. Okay. Um, It's C-O-M-E-Y, and I haven't heard it pronounced, so I'm, you know, defaulting again to whatever sounds like it would be good to me. But I am going to give him credit because he is talking about this pattern, you know, of ISIS and other groups indoctrinating American citizens through the Internet. And he calls it, this is his term, the crowdsourcing of terrorism, yeah, which I think is good. quite a clever term. Yeah, the it's crowds- a modern, pretty apt term. The crowdsourcing of terrorism. Anyway, then he gives us some details about this. Um, Sufi wrote to his mother, I love you and I hope to see you in eternity. Um, yeah. So she, he had written this well, that uh, is, letter. That is to- insignificant to news, and that's why he released it, clearly. He's like, hey, here's something. I'm, I won't tell you what I know about this because really I'm being pressured not to say it because it will hurt Obama further. So therefore, hey, look what he wrote his mother. Who gives a damn what he wrote his mother? Right. Um, he said, in the name of Allah, I am sorry for the grief I have caused. And then Sufi in the letter also referred to, quote, those Muslims who are being killed, slandered, imprisoned, etc., for their religion and concluded, uh, I truly love you, Mom, but this life is nothing but shade under the tree and a journey. The reality is the eternal existence in the hereafter, end quote. He was definitely inspired. I, he was definitely inspired well, by yeah. the fire oh, yeah. and brimstone in the Quran. Yeah, you know? he, he was a Muslim. He was a jihadist. And uh, he's blood brothers with ISIS, whether he works with them directly or not. It doesn't matter. There was this idea that Oh, and you know what? The uh, the uh, gun place where he got the gun was called Lone Wolf, you know, and they're trying to call right. Lone Wolf. But these are two guys, so they can't be Lone Wolves anyway. It's yep. just so silly. But no, uh, in terms of that, of, of him saying about death and life, and there's this word that my mom used to use, uh, Medirua, to endure. That's what life is about, to endure. Right. Right. Not, to, not to enjoy, not to live it, but to endure. And I had this one line in um, in the infidel 
three from Super Jihad to Pigman. I don't want to say it, but it's, it's, it, it, it really hits home that, that okay. aspect. Now you want to, do you want to hang on and run through with me some of the good news stories? Sure. Okay. So, um, actually one more story that's By just, way, I, uh, liked, I liked the, I liked the whole, uh, the whole, the whole show about the, um, the truth that's important and its, and its enemies and Cruz just impresses again and again as a politician to say what he's saying. Yes. It is damn impressive. He says what he says and, and he's doing what he's doing. And I'm, I, I do hope to get Islam, him on the show Islamic, at some point. Islamic terrorism, jihadists. Some objectivists yes. don't even use those terms. No. And, and that, that's why I, I analyzed that exact. I mean, the, the phrasing was exactly perfect. You couldn't have said it better Absolutely than perfect. he did in, in that formulation. There were different formulations where I guess he used, uh, you know, a little bit of wiggle terms, but that one was exactly yeah, perfect. Islamic terrorism, yeah. No, no. Yeah, no, no we don't need yeah. this. So there is a whole long piece, and I urge you to go ahead and read it if this sort of thing interests you, that Rob Abiera shared with me, and it's called Inside Obama's Stealth Startup. And uh, again, the link is over at the blog, don'tletitgo.com. Check out all these links. But what the story talks about is Obama basically poaching some of the top minds from Silicon Valley and bringing them into government and trying to make government more efficient, more more democratically responsive because you can you know interact with your government on an individual level more easily and the blah 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 and all of these starry-eyed silicon valley people thinking Idiot. oh i'm re now i'm really making a difference because i'm working in the government oh, right man. so that's they're the tone of the whole piece and it talks about you know they're saving healthcare.gov and they're making the VA work better and they're doing this and they're doing that and oh isn't it all so wonderful so check that out. Um, then there's some actual good news, which is uh, first of all Intel has made a 3D memory a thousand times faster than modern storage. I am so excited to see what new chips are going to come from Intel as a result of this and what our computers are. To Rob for that, uh, U.S. has doubled its farm production in just 60 years, and how do we do it? Because of technology. So Obama stopped poaching our technological geniuses and bringing them into government. We need them yeah, but, to double production yeah, but those, elsewhere. Yeah, but those idiots, if they go to hell with them, then they're worth nothing, really. If they're gonna fall for that crap, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't like Obama wooing them. Absolutely not. But then they'll get some better people. Beautiful story of Facebook. Facebook's got the solar-powered unmanned unmanned plane called right. Aquila, um, and then uh, there is the first fashion collection 3D printed at home. An Israeli designer has 3D printed clothing. So check that out as well. And then finally, I put a link to Brainy HQ where all of you smart people can go train your brain and I'll talk more about that in a future show but we're out of time now actually so go to the blog oh. at don'tletitgo.com everyone yeah I know can you believe it it's already over um, yeah. anyway go to don'tletitgo.com comment become a show supporter share the show with your friends and I will talk to you guys all here at the same time next week thanks Bosch for tuning in alright take care everyone Thanks to Al as well. Take care. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.